I have a question for you. Have you ever stopped to think about how many temptations you face every day? Ever stop to try to calculate how many temptations you face every day? The dictionary defines temptation as the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. So I ask again, have you ever stopped to think about how many times during your day you're tempted to do something wrong or unwise? Temptations are everywhere. It's never hard to find one. And temptations come in all sizes and shapes and disguises. One of temptation's favorite disguises is to appear free. Just like cheese in a mousetrap looks free to the mouse. Oscar Wilde said, I can, I can resist everything except temptation. How can we resist the constant pressure to give in to temptation and disobey the God we love? Our passage today is going to tell us right after we pray. Let's pray together. Father, on this beautiful, beautiful summer day, we just come before you and in, in awe of you that you would send your son to earth to, to save us. And Father, we are all in this room um, sitting ducks when it comes to temptation. Uh, we feel like everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, there's constant pressure to disobey you, Lord, in our heart is to obey you, yet we struggle. And Father, I pray today that your truth would just open a window in our mind and in our hearts to see more clearly than ever before what you have done to help us overcome temptation. Father, let us hear your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. This passage deals with the world-famous temptation between Jesus and Satan. And if you remember, Jesus' name means God is coming to save us. Satan's name in the Hebrew means enemy or adversary. But Satan has a lot of other names in Scripture. Here are just a few of his names. He is called the devil, the serpent, the tempter, the accuser, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. Notice it's a lowercase g. God of this age, the evil one, destroyer, deceiver, murderer, the father of lies, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible tells us that Satan was created as a member of the heavenly host, but when he rebelled, he and his angelic followers were thrown out of heaven. Here is Satan's current address. Planet Earth is the devil's turf. And scripture tells us that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Yet Satan's time is limited. One day in the future, the Lord will cast Satan and his followers into the lake of fire forever. But until that day comes, Satan's number one agenda is to defeat God's plans any way he can. And this includes the plans that God has for your life and for my life. Long before Jesus was born, Satan tried to destroy Israel and wipe out the messianic line so Jesus the Messiah couldn't be born, but Satan failed. When Jesus, Jesus was born, 
Satan tried to kill him by having King Herod murder all the babies up to two years old in the entire region of Bethlehem. But an angel of the, the Lord came to Joseph and warned him, so Joseph took Jesus and Mary away to Egypt until the danger passed. Now in our passage today, Satan's going to try to destroy Jesus again, but not kill him this time. This time, Satan's plan is to corrupt him. Not kill Jesus, but corrupt Jesus. And here's what's at stake for you and me in this confrontation. If Satan can entice Jesus to sin, then it means that Jesus has no power over Satan. And if Jesus has no power over Satan, then Jesus cannot rescue you and me from Satan's control. Let's read together the, the first of the three temptations of Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Last week we studied Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and God spoke from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. This Amazing baptism marked the beginning of Jesus' adult ministry on earth. This was the kickoff. And what did God do next? What did God do next? Did God have Jesus come up out of the waters of baptism and preach to the huge crowd at the Jordan? No. Did God cause people to rush to Jesus, asking to be his disciples? No. Did God touch the heart of some wealthy individuals in the crowd to give Jesus money for the ministry? No. Right after Jesus' glorious baptism, right after Jesus arrived on stage, the Holy Spirit led him away, out into the middle of nowhere. Luke calls this area the wilderness. The Old Testament calls this area the devastation. It's it's a barren wasteland. It's the badlands. Jesus goes. And Jesus does not question God's plan. Why? Because Jesus is completely content to follow the Lord wherever he wants him to go. Now remember, we saw this last week. <clears throat> Jesus is fully God. He's fully God, but also he is fully a 30-year-old flesh and blood human man here. And Jesus laid aside his own will to follow the Holy Spirit, to submit his will to God, just like we need to do, just like you and I need to do. And here's the, here's the beauty of this. Do you know what happens when you and I trust God to lead us wherever he wants us to go? When we truly trust wherever God wants us to go, do you know what amazing thing happens to you and happens to me? When we follow the Lord, wherever he leads us and we trust him, we find we have peace in every circumstance. Even when God leads us into a period of isolation or into a time of confrontation or even into a time of personal challenge and hardship, we have peace. 
just like Jesus had. When we follow the Holy Spirit, it does not mean, as some people might guess, that we have our head in the clouds. Nonsense. We don't have our heads in the clouds. We have our eyes on the Lord. And because we have our eyes on the Lord, we are fully aware of our difficult circumstances. We are totally aware of the problems around us. However, we are more aware of God's presence in the problem. We are just fully aware of God's presence. Let's read what Matthew tells us about the first temptation of Jesus. It's very similar to what Luke wrote, but Matthew gives us just a few more bits of information. Let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Then Jesus was led up to, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of facing Satan, his most powerful enemy. To prepare for this battle, Jesus could have loaded up on vitamins and protein, but instead he fasted. He went without food. Jesus did not eat anything for 40 days and 40 nights so he could devote his full attention to prayer and reading and meditating on God's word. So here is the big question for you and me. Ready? If Jesus takes temptation this seriously, how much more should we? How much more should we? We're going to come back to this question at the end. Let's talk about fasting for a minute. Fasting is a spiritual discipline given to us in the Word of God. Fasting means to abstain from food and sometimes from liquid for a period of time. In the Bible, many fasts were one day long. Started at sunrise, ended at sunset. But other fasts were three days long, five days long, up to Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights. The purpose of fasting is to recognize our dependence on God as we forsake food in order to, to just seek God's will and seek God's guidance through prayer and meditation on his word. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you have not fasted before, let me tell you, fasting takes just a wee bit of practice for us because our body does not like to be denied anything, especially food. So when you first start to fast and you're, you're trying to read and you're trying to meditate, your body's gonna try to distract you. Your stomach will rumble and remind you, you missed a meal. Uh, our brain starts sending us mental pictures of our favorite sandwiches. And then our mouth starts to water for a snack. But here's the thing. In time, we can learn. We can learn how to ignore our physical needs in order to focus entirely on our spiritual needs. And that, that is the beauty and the power of fasting. Fasting is actually feasting. It's feasting on the things of God. Fasting is feasting on the things of God. Now after 40 days and nights of fasting, Jesus' spirit was full, but his stomach was empty. Probably, if we're honest, we'd say we're the opposite of this. Usually our stomachs are full and it's our spirit that's empty. Jesus' physical body at this point literally was starving after 40 days and nights of not eating. And what is the first thing Satan does? Satan tempts Jesus with food. 
How unfair is that? Let's make a note. Satan does not play fair. Let's make another bigger note. God allowed Jesus to be tempted because God knew, God knew Jesus could endure. Let's make one more big note. God allows us to be tempted only by the things he knows you and I can endure. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Temptations are really difficult for us. But you know what? God knows our limits better than we do. And God will not allow you or me to be tempted beyond what we're able to handle. And God has given us a Savior who knows exactly what it's like to be tempted by everything that tempts us. Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus faced every single temptation you and I face or will ever face, and he never sinned. <clears throat> Jesus, our high priest, fully understands how much we struggle with temptation, and he invites us to come to him for grace, mercy, and help. Let's read uh, the rest of Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, just to finish the first temptation. And the tempter came to him and said, came to Jesus and said, if, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan, Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. But he says, if you are the Son of God. I mean, he could have said, since you are the Son of God, but G Satan loves that word, if. You know why Satan loves that word, if? Because he's saying it to us all the time, because Satan's favorite thing to do is plant seeds of doubt in our mind. Satan is always whispering in our ear, if God loves you, if God loves you, why are you suffering? If God is in control, why hasn't he solved your problem? If other people are doing this and other people are doing that, why shouldn't you? Our enemy wants us to doubt the reality of God, the authority of God, the faithfulness of God, and the presence of God. Why? If Satan can get us to doubt our relationship with the Lord, then he can get us to act like we don't have a relationship with the Lord. Satan knows. Satan knows he cannot steal our salvation because God is holding on to our salvation in his hands and God promises that no one can snatch us out of his hands. So our salvation is secure. But Satan knows he can plant seeds of doubt into our minds to cause us to lose our joy and lose our confidence in the Lord. Doubts can spoil our witness for Christ. 
And doubts can create friction and division inside a church. Whenever we have doubts about who God is and what God has said, not questions, but whenever we doubt who God is and what he has said, the truth of what he has said, when we have those doubts, we are listening to the whispers of the adversary, the enemy. Now, Satan, he's smart. He only tempts you and me to do the things he knows we actually have the power to do. For example, Satan doesn't tempt us to go into our backyard and turn the stones to bread or turn the grass into a salad bar. He knows we don't have that kind of power. But Satan knows you and I have plenty of power. We have power to spare when it comes to turning faith into doubt. We have plenty of power to do that. We have the power to turn an opportunity for kindness into unkindness. And we have the power to turn an opportunity to help others into the opportunity to help ourselves. And our long list goes on. Jesus, though, truly had the power to turn those dirty rocks into fresh baked stone bread. And after more than a month of going without food, this would be a huge temptation, except Jesus didn't fall for it. Why? Because Jesus understood something we need to understand. This temptation was not, it was not about feeding his hunger. This temptation was about distrusting his father. This whole temptation was about distrusting his father. Satan was saying, Jesus, come on. If you're God's Messiah, why is he letting you starve? Come on, Jesus, use your own powers to fix God's carelessness. All Satan wanted Jesus to do was eat a little bread. Just like all Satan wanted Eve to do was have a little fruit. Jesus responded to Satan by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. This is a passage that speaks about God's faithfulness to his people during their wilderness wanderings. Jesus quoted, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus did not use his divine powers. Jesus used scripture to defeat Satan just like we can. Just like we can. And did you notice Jesus needed only one verse to defeat the temptation. One verse. Jesus was a man of few words. Don't you wish I was? Jesus' answer told Satan, Satan, yeah, you are a master deceiver, but this time you deceived yourself because your assessment of the situation is entirely wrong. You're trying to tell me if I don't make bread, I could starve out here, but... Here's what you don't understand. Food is not my source of life. The absolute sustaining power of God is the source of my life. It's not food for you and I. It's the absolute sustaining power of God. But Satan wants us to doubt God's ability to sustain us. Satan wants us to doubt and Satan wants us to, to distrust God's ability to properly handle all of the details in our life, right? That's what keeps us up at night, right? We're worried about all the details in our life. And if we're honest, we sort of pray to God, Lord, um, my life's really complicated right now, and I'm not sure you can handle it. God, I'm not sure you can handle it. My, my problems are big right now. I got a lot. May I share with you my absolute favorite verse in all the scripture that I meditate on 
when I am tempted to worry about my circumstances. And I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to worry about my circumstances. But here's the verse I love to go to. It's from Isaiah 26.3. This is in the New King James. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace. Speaking to the Lord, it's a prayer to the Lord. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you or she trusts in you. You and I, we can't find peace when we're looking at all the moving parts of our problems. We can't find peace there when we're just looking at all the moving parts. But we can find the perfect peace that comes from God when we focus our attention on him and trust him. And I know our mind wanders. We focus it there and we're feeling great and then we wander back to the details. We gotta just keep focusing, keep riveting your attention back to God. I promise you, no matter what you're facing, no matter how terrifying life gets at times, focus your attention on the Lord. Lock it there, keep it on him. Don't worry about the circumstances. Don't worry about the details. Let God control those. Trust him. Perfect peace of God is there. After failing with the first temptation, Jesus switches gears, Satan, excuse me, switches gears for temptation number two. Let's read about that. Back in Luke chapter four, verses five to eight. And Satan led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In a moment of time, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. This would be like Egypt, Greece, and Rome. Luke does not tell us how Satan did this. We, find, we get a little more information in Matthew. Matthew 4.8 tells us, the devil took him, took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Well, we know there is no mountain where they could have stood to see all of the kingdoms of the world. So Satan probably created a vision of some kind. And Satan said, Jesus, look, all the kingdoms of the world are mine, but they can all be yours if you worship me. Did you notice? Satan, Jesus did not dispute Satan's claim over all the kingdoms of the world. All the earth's kingdoms belong to Satan for the time being. One day, one day though, they will all bow to Jesus. So in this second temptation, Satan is offering Jesus a clever little shortcut. Satan says, Jesus, I can give you everything God promised you and you don't have to wait for it. You can have it all right now and you don't even have to go to the cross. All you have to do is worship me. One of life's most powerful temptations for you and me is the shortcut. Satan loves to offer us spiritual shortcuts all the time because the devil knows how much you and I hate to wait for anything, right? Be honest, if we're at a traffic signal, we get mad if the car in front of us doesn't move, the, instant that light turns green. 
We go crazy if an app takes an extra second to load. And if we call someone, the worst thing that can happen to us in the entire world is that we're put on hold. Satan tries to sell Jesus a shortcut, but Jesus isn't buying. Jesus answered with scripture again, this time Deuteronomy 6.13, and says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus gives us an answer that reveals the truth about the choices we make in life. Do you see it? Jesus' answer from Scripture reveals the truth about the choices you and I make every day. With every choice we make, we either serve God or we serve Satan. Ever think about that? Every choice we make is an act of worship. With every choice, we are either bowing to Satan or we are bowing our will to God. Very sobering thought, isn't it? Let's read about the third temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 to 13. And he led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. This time, Satan wants Jesus to take a leap of faith. Satan says, Jesus, leap off the temple. And God, make God prove that he will send angels to catch you before you hit the ground about 400 feet below. Satan even, you see what Satan's doing now? He's wised up. He sees what he's copying Jesus. He, he, Satan is the first to say it is written. And now Satan quotes scripture. He's, he quotes Psalm 91. We have to understand the devil knows the Bible. He doesn't obey it, but he knows it so he can twist it for his own purposes. That means you and I have to be really careful because Satan has many false teachers in the world today who can quote the Bible beautifully and authoritatively. But their purpose is not to lead people to Christ. Their purpose is to twist scripture to lead people anywhere but to a wholehearted devotion, commitment to Jesus. But Jesus corrects Satan's misuse of scripture by quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 6, 6, and says, you shall, not, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does that mean, to put God to the test? Putting God to the test means we are forbidden to purposely put ourselves in a situation to force God to intervene to prove himself. God forbids us to purposely put ourselves in danger or any kind of situation to force God to miraculously intervene to prove himself. By the way, in this temptation, did you notice this? Did you notice Satan tells Jesus to jump? But Satan doesn't dare try to push Jesus off the top of that temple. Satan knows he cannot lay a finger on Jesus unless God allows it. About three years later, God will allow Satan to have Jesus executed. When Jesus died on the cross, 
Satan did not get the victory he was hoping for. When Jesus died on the cross as the payment for our sins, Satan lost the most powerful weapon he has against us because Satan can no longer stand before God and accuse us of being guilty of sin and therefore worthy of punishment and death. You can't do it. When Jesus died for our sins, Jesus' blood washed us clean forever. Satan's indictment against us was therefore canceled. It was torn up and thrown away. Jesus' victory on the cross is our victory. All of us who trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus have been set free from Satan's power forever. We who trust in Christ will never perish. Our dear brother, Bill McKnight, who used to sit right there every week, did not perish. Bill McKnight is more alive than we are, and we will see him again. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we who trust in Christ will never perish, and Satan can never separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 13, we see that when the devil had finished all the temptations that he had, he left until an opportune time. Three strikes, Satan was out, but he'll be back to battle Jesus many more times during his ministry. Well, what happens next? What happens right after Satan leaves? Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew's gospel does. In Matthew 4.11, we read, Then the devil left him, left Jesus, and behold, or look at this, <laughs> behold, the angels came and began to minister to him, began to minister to Jesus. Remember all those angels that Satan wanted to see? Well, God sent his angels to Jesus on God's schedule, not on Satan's, and not on ours. It's always according to God's perfect timing. And the minute the temptation was over, the period of temptation was over, God faithfully sent his angels to restore and bless Jesus, just like God will do for us when we resist temptation. God sends his angels, God sends himself to bless us when we resist times of temptation. Okay, do you remember how we resist temptation? You remember how we resist temptation? Jesus showed us. We need to submit to God. It starts right there. We need to surrender our wants and our desires to him and humbly follow the Lord wherever he wants us to go. It starts with us submitting to God. Sometimes God will lead us into periods of temptation or periods of trouble where we do need to fast. At all times, we need to pray and fill our minds with the truth of God's word and meditate, think about God's word all day long. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us, and the best thing that can happen to us is for our thoughts to change and that God's thoughts become our thoughts. Okay, if we decide today that we don't need to do these things, if we decide, no, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not going to submit my wants and my desires to God. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to fast. That sounds too hard. I'm not going to fast. And I'm not really going to pray. And I'm not going to spend that much time reading and meditating on God's word. If we decide we're not going to do any of these things, all of these things, you know what that means? That means we're going out into the world to face a world full of temptation on our own. Yep, that's our plan. We're going to, we'll power it through. We're going to face temptation on our own. And how do we think that's going to go? Jesus faced every temptation we face, but he never sinned. 
You and I can't say that about ourselves because sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we give in to temptation and sometimes we sin against the God we love. Well, what do we do then? Then we turn to John, 1 John 1, 9. This beautiful single verse that tells us if we confess our sins, when we give in to temptation, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the power of the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is mercy and there is complete forgiveness for, for you and for me at God's throne of grace. Satan is clever. Yeah. Satan is powerful. Absolutely. And Satan is relentless. But you know what? Satan is no match for Jesus who lives in us because it is written in 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness and on the cross. He did that for our sake. His victory is our victory today tomorrow, and forever. Our worship, our prayer team will be right outside, and as the worship team comes up to lead us in a final song, let's pray together. Father, um, temptation is so hard for us. Lord, there are some temptations that we can pass by and others that just seem to have their grip on us. And Lord, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Convict us. Show us, Father, that we need to submit completely to you. Show us the areas in our lives where we're withholding from you, where we have wants and desires that we have not turned over to you. Father, help us to submit completely to you. Father, teach us to trust you wherever you lead us because your ways are perfect and in the world is full, it's full of temptation and our path is so dark and murky, but when we follow the light of your word, your path is clear. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Father, for the victory that Jesus won in the wilderness and on the cross for our sake. And it's in Jesus' all-powerful saving name we pray. Amen.